Thank you. Let's just give that praise on up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God most high. We honor you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you are, Lord. Well, Father, tonight we just thank you with the um, echo of that song still in our sanctuary. Draw us nearer, Lord. Father, we know in a day when there seems to be so many distractions, so many things to draw our attention away from you. If there was ever a song and a word that needs to be on our lips, it is that one that you would draw us near. When you draw us, uh, Father, we know that you have an intention for us to show us our purpose, our potential, our destiny, and also our ultimate hope. Uh, We pray, Father, that our focus would be on you tonight. And, Father, that we would respond to the voice that says, come up hither. Draw near. And your word has already been stated. If we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So, Father, thank you for tabernacling among us over these days together. We give you honor for everything that you desire to accomplish. Again, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And let the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be acceptable in thy sight because you, O Lord, are strength and our redeemer. We thank you for these times now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say it. Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the uh, company of God's uh, saints. Um, We do again thank the Lord for his tremendous grace in our life uh, to have us here in New England and in particular here in Seekonk at Faith Christian Center and thank the Lord for the various churches that have joined us together uh, in our gathering this week. And for you as a church, you have responded and have come so that we can understand the times that we live in. There was a little tribe in Israel whose name was Issachar, who understood time and knew what Israel ought to do. And it's important that we know where we are and it's important that we have the wisdom to know what we ought to do and respond appropriate to the Lord. And for that, we give you thanksgiving, uh, Lord. Can you, uh, once again, take your Bible and hold it up or your digital instrument, wherever you may be pulling your scriptures from tonight, and say this after me. This is my Bible. Bible. Though there are many in the world, this one is mine. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I could have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God, my life will be better. Because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let's make our lives better by hearing the word of God. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. We've been looking at this incredible story of this prophet whose name is Hosea. Hosea is told in the first chapter of his writing to go marry a woman named Gomer. And bring forth children of harlotry. And what God asked his prophet to do is to marry a woman who would have divided loyalties 
and divided affection towards him. He marries this woman. And the statement in the early verses of the book of Hosea is that they are to bring forth children of harlotry. And Sunday morning, we looked and we saw that idolatry is the one sin in the Ten Commandments that not only affects the violator of the commandment, but also affects the next generation. For God says if they would make other idols before him and bow down to them and worship them, then he would visit that sin to the third and the fourth generation. We saw that that was impacted to the degree that God had to send Israel into captivity. And we saw even when when they came out of captivity in Nehemiah chapter 14, that when they came out of captivity, that their children could only speak. Some, all of them spoke in the language of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab, but they could not speak the language of Judah. They spoke half and half language. And today we notice in our generation, because we have gotten distracted with other things, we've given our loyalty and our devotion and our affection to other things. We're starting to see now in our churches that eight, 90% of the youth that leave high school, walk away from the church And they don't return till somewhere in their 30s if they return. We must ask the question, why? And could it be that they have watched us as adults and parents give our affection and give our devotions to something else? Anything that is our source is our God. Who we run to when we're in trouble is our God. And though we are Christians, part of a different kingdom, We have run to our credit cards. We have run to our credit standing. Some people are more concerned with their credit score than they are with their score with God. Because they'll make financial adjustments to keep their credit scores up, but will not tithe. And when people become more concerned about their credit score with man, than their commitment financially to God, we show our children divided loyalty and divided affection. Where we could pay 18% on a credit card. Almost 120% if you go to these payday lending places. But can't give 10% to God? Who made us? Who keeps us breathing? the one that owns it all anyway. Then we are in a time of divided loyalty, but it's not only our money, it's also our time. The average Christian now spends 62%, 65% was the number that I read from George Barn and Tom Rayner and even Josh McDowell, Bible-believing Christians only go to church twice a month. The average church service only lasts two hours. And there's 168 hours in a week, which means that the world has us out there 166 hours. And only two hours a week do most of us have for God to download his wisdom corporately to all of us. And yet the average Christian only goes in America to the house of the Lord for corporate worship twice a month, four hours a month. And friends, we show to our children 
church is not really important. And that's even assuming that we're here two hours because that's a great assumption that we show up on time and stay till the benediction. And so we show that we have divided loyalties and we show that we have divided affection. What are we saying to our children? We also show divided affection in our service because some of us will not serve in the church. We will not serve and share our talents, our gifts, our cause, and our anointing. We'll go out and we'll serve in benefit marathons and benefit walkathons. We'll go out and we'll serve in blood drives. We'll go out and we'll do all kind of benevolent service for folk out there. But then when it comes to sharing benevolent service for folk in here inside of our kingdom, we say to our children, this is not important. When Hosea brought forth his three children or when Gomer brings forth these three children, this man remains loyal to her. She brings forth Jezreel, Laharama, and Loamai. And their names means I will scatter. I will have no mercy. Uh, You are not my people. And Hosea keeps loving Gomer even though she keeps being unfaithful to him. We saw Sunday night that how Gomer in her divided loyalty began to attribute everything to Baal that God had been giving unto her. We saw that in verse chapter two and verse number five that she attributed her bread. She said, Baal, somebody else gave me my life. In verse number five, she says, somebody else gave me my word, my water. Somebody else gave me my wool. Somebody else is now covering me. She said, somebody else gave me my linen. Somebody else's my devotion for worshiping is my covering in worship. Somebody else has given me oil. My power's coming from someone else, not from you, Lord. Somebody else is giving me my, my drink. Somebody else is giving me my joy. And she started attributing all of those things to Baal. And God, who is a jealous God, says she didn't even know. In verse number eight, that I am the one that gave her her grain. I'm the one that gives the word. I'm the one that gives her her joy, her or wine. I'm the one that gives her oil, her power. I'm the one that gives her her redemption. That's redemption. In verse number eight, I'm the one that gives her her gold. And he says, and I will return and I will take away my grain in a time. And it says, and my new wine in its season, and I will take back my wool and I will take back my linen. If we ignore and neglect and become divided in our affections and in our loyalty towards the things of God, they will be taken away. One of the prophets prophesied a day will come that there will come a great drought in the world. It will not be a rain, a drought of dew and of rain, but it will be a drought of the word. And friends, if we do not begin to honor God and draw back to him, as the song said in our hearing tonight, then that which we have now taken for granted and see uh, in just a familiar way, can be taken away. It happened in China. It happened in Russia. It's happened in various parts of the world where people took the church for granted, took public worship for granted. And then when others came in and overran the government, it was taken away. And that which was taken for granted was no more. I know that like Israel, America says it will never happen. For there were voices in Israel, even though the voice of the prophet came in, they kept saying that it never happened. And even some of the prophets had to say, those prophets lie. And friends, I'm telling you, if we take for granted that which God has given unto us and do not cherish it, he says, I will strip it from you and I will 
take it away. He says, I will uncover her nakedness in chapter two and verse number 10. And he said, I will also cause her mirth or feast to stop. The feast stop when God stops visiting us in our worship. And he says, and I will destroy in verse number 12, the vines. And he said, and I'll tear down all of the forests because those are the places where they worship. And he says, and I will punish her for the days of her bail. We ended there last night by talking about that we're in a great condition. And the condition is that we strayed away from God. God commands us to return. Otherwise, he says there's going to be great consequences. And we kept on moving and we begin to draw back to God as we just loved up on the Lord last night at the end of our service. But now that brings us to chapter 2 and verse number 14. And tonight I would like to look at this loving God that desires communion with us. I think it's one thing for us to say, I want to draw near to him, but you and I need to know that he desires to draw near to us. God does not just tolerate us. He wants us. He wants us. He loves us. His thoughts towards us are good and not evil to bring a hope and a future to us. And in chapter two, this is a voice of Hosea because though his wife has done all of these things that are immoral, she's broken covenant with him. Still his heart goes out to her just like God's heart went out to Israel and just like Christ's heart is going out to his church. Follow me in chapter two, verse 14 now. It says, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards for there and the valley of Achor as the door of hope. She shall sing there as in the day of her youth and in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. I will take from her mouth the name of Baals and they shall be remembered by them, by their name, no more. In the day, in that day, will I make a covenant with them and with the beast of the field and with the birds of the air and with the creeping things of the ground and bow and sword of battle. And I will scatter, shatter from the earth to make them lay down safely. I will betroth you to me. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord and I shall, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer and say, says the Lord, I will answer the heavens and you shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer with grain, new wine and with oil and shall answer Jezreel. Then I shall sow her for myself in the earth and I will have mercy on her who hath not obtained mercy. And I will say to those uh, uh, who were, who were not my people, 
you are my people and you shall be and you shall say, you are my God. In this particular passage that we've just read, we see the relentless love of God pursuing an unfaithful people. I want you to know uh, that God's love is constant towards us. God's love, God constantly calls us to himself. You know, even when Adam, the original man sinned, God doesn't leave him alone in his sin. There are those that say, well, God can't look on sin and he turns his back on sin. Adam didn't know that. And nobody in human history has known that. You know, even those of us who have acknowledged and come to a knowledge of our own sin, understand, though God, he has to punish and deal with and there are consequences of sin, he still draws us to himself, even when we are sinners. That does not give us a license for sin as some of those that teach cheap grace is. That does not eliminate sin as some of those that teach cheap grace do. That does not say that sin does not exist anymore uh, as some of those who teach cheap grace do. But what it says is in the midst of sin, God allures us to himself. You know, God, he, he allures us by attracting us to himself because God does not just deal with us in our sin, but he wants to bring us out into a spacious place and he wants to open us and he wants to entice us to himself. He uses verbal and nonverbal uh, a language to entice us. His arms are wide open towards us and God longs for a continual re- intimate relationship with us versus a legal relationship with us. You see here, this woman has gone astray and Hosea's heart goes out to her and he's still thinking, man, if she'll come back, I'll give her her vineyard. He said, but if she doesn't, she's going to wind up in the Valley of Achor. And the Valley of Acre was a place where Achan was uh, judged in in Joshua chapter 7. In Joshua chapter 7, they're moving into the land. And all of a sudden, God says, listen, when you take the first city, let it be a burnt offering unto me like in Leviticus chapter 1. Let everything go up to me. He said, let all of the smoke go up to me. Don't take any silver. Don't take any gold. Don't take any clothes. Let everything be offered to me. But this one little man they make it, he takes some garments and some silver and some gold. And when they go out to Ai, the next battle, they lose and they cry before God and say, God, you said you were with us. What happened to you? And all of a sudden, God tells Joshua, get up their sin in the camp. They begin to do a survey of the nation and it comes down to a tribe, a survey of a tribe. And it comes down to a group, a survey of a group. And it comes down to a family, a survey of the family. And it comes down to one tent. They ask the man, what have you done? And the man says, I've taken of the accursed thing. He and his family are brought out because when you take of things that are accursed in the Old Testament, there were there was judgment not only on the person, but on the entire family. And they piled up stones and they stoned them. And Joshua chapter seven ends with this statement that said those stones are still here today. And you know what happened if you were in, in, in Israel at that particular time? Every time somebody got rebellious, they probably took a rebellious kid by his ear and took him out there. To that pile of stones is said. Every time a neighbor got out of sort, they probably took him by the collar and said, come here. And that pile of stone was a constant community reminder that if you cause all of us to go into captivity, go into bondage, that's what's going to happen to you. 
And yet God has no pleasure in stoning people. But God wants us to remember the consequence of sin. Sin causes death. And yet the text says, I will give her a vineyard from there. In the Valley of Acre, as a door of hope, he says, I want to give you a door of hope from this thing that you have found yourself in. And it says, and she will sing in the days of our youth. See, what happens with sin is sin will take your song from you. You will no longer be able to sing to the Lord. It won't be a song that comes out of your heart. It won't be a new song that comes out of your mouth. It'll just be a song that comes out of memory. It'll be a song that comes from the past. It'll be a song that may be a melody. It may strike an emotional place in us, but it won't touch the heart of God. God longs for his church to sing the hymn again with a pure heart. Love songs. I know people that uh, tell me that during the days of their romance, even though their spouse couldn't even sing, they tried. I remember looking at a videotape of one of my friends who's a pastor in Texas now. And his bride came through the door and I don't know where he got the strange idea that he could sing. He's going to serenade her down the aisle. And my wife and I watched that videotape and and when she started walking down the aisle and he started singing, she started crying. And the more she walked, the more she cried. And I said, and I asked her, I said, well, were, were you crying because, because your husband was, was singing to you with that beautiful voice? Because we could hear that he was off. He was trying to sing. You know, in the old Baptist church where I came from, when somebody would say, I'm going to attempt to sing my rendition of. That was speaking in tongues that says, I know I can't hit those notes, but I'm going to give it my best try and y'all forgive me. And that's just what he did. And I said, why were you crying? Was the emotion of, uh, of getting married? She said, no, she said, I was crying for two reasons. It was so bad, but he was trying so hard because <laughs> her face was all wrinkled up. And so was ours. When we watched, I said, I can't believe you did that, man. He said, I had to try. I had to try. I said, do that in private the next time. Don't do that in public no more. <laughs> and you know what? Think that even for those of us who may not have all of the vocal ability, God still longs to hear your voice. No voice is sweeter than a voice from a loving heart that comes to God, that sings to him. And even if you don't have all of the pitches, all of the training, all of the vibrato, if it comes from a pure heart and it's a song that comes up to God, God hears it and he's honored by that. God is still longing. I think in our churches so far now in these days, we, we become more professional. I was in a worship conference teaching on worship and one of the presenters there was a man named Israel Holden. We'd been blessed in the kingdom of God by his music. And I said, uh, Israel, how does it feel to be a part in a member of Lakewood church? And he said, Oh, I'm not a member of Lakewood church. I'm a contract musician there. He said, many of us are. He said, I, he said, where I get beat down and where I really get pounded by the Holy Ghost is a little small Pentecostal church. He said that I go to. He said, I'm a contract musician there. And he said, and I go there and he said, and I love leading worship. He said, but the church I go to, I said, do you lead worship? He said, I do specials there. He said, but that's the church where I go when I'm not Israel holding the great Hosanna star. He said, Israel, there's a leak in the bathroom. Go grab a mop. He said, that's where I go. 
And you see, part of the way that we maintain our affection is to maintain our service. All of us need to be somewhere where somebody doesn't set a glass of water out for us, where somebody doesn't grab your briefcase, where somebody doesn't know that you're the big person on the stage, where somebody say, Israel, there's a leak in the bathroom, go grab the mop. He said, that's a place where I get pounded back down to reality. All of us need those places. Even in our network, I have some folks that are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, bishops. But when they come to our church, I call them by their first name because all of them need a place where you're no longer bishop so-and-so, you're just John. Jonathan. And God many times wants to bring us to that place. He wants to bring us to that place where we understand that it's out of affection, it's service that we show our affection to God. It's out of our affectionate service that we sing a new song to him. And he wants to have that intimate relationship. See, here in verse number 16 is the key to this portion of scripture because it says, and and it shall be said in that day, says the Lord, that you will not call me husband, but you that you will call my name husband and no longer master. See, here what happened with Gomer was that she had a, a, a relationship uh, that 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 she had a, a legal relationship with the husband, but not uh, but she did not have an intimate relationship with them. And that's why she migrated to Baal. He said, I don't want to be called Balaam, Lord, just Lord. I want to be called husband. And I believe that when we get into our walk with the Lord, it's so easy to slip from the intimate relationship of husband to the legal relationship as Lord. And friends, legalism will kill us. Legalism will kill us. And he says, and I will take from our mouth in that day, the name of Baal's And it says, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. And friends, I believe that the Lord still longs in his quest for constant love from us to him and from him to us to hear us say, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I love those simple courses of days gone past because they were easy to remember. They didn't have a lot of instrumentation to it. You could sing it in your car, sing it in the shower. You could sing it on the way to work, sing it at work. You could sing it on the baseball field, sing it in the basketball arena. You could sing it on the football court. I love you, Lord. And Lord, unless you build the house, we labor in vain to build it. And Lord, I just don't want a legal relationship with you that I say, yes, sir. I want one that I can say, I love you, Lord. You're the lover of my soul. You saved me. You have redeemed me with an everlasting love. And see, in that intimacy of that love relationship, he draws us. And he tells her in that particular day that they shall call me my husband and no longer just my master. And, uh, and I will take from her mouth the name of Baals. And I still hear God's constant love calling his church back to us. You see, when I know more about what the Democrats or the Republicans or the Tea Party or the conservatives or the liberals are talking about more than I know what God wants to say to me, I have misdirected my affection and my attention. When I know more about what the motivational speakers on the circuits are saying than I know what God is saying, I've misdirected my affection. When I know what all the popular authors are saying, I believe I need to know more about what God is saying than what people are talking about what God is saying are saying. I believe I need to read the book more than I need to read what people are saying about the book. 
I believe that I need to know and I need to hear his voice. And it's interesting when you love someone, then you can hear their voice and their voice cuts through all of the stuff. And here when he's walking home, I can probably imagine a Hosea in his head thinking about that day that he's going to walk home with Gomer. And in that day, she's probably walking a few steps behind him and he probably is walking home and rescuing her. And he's probably thinking out the, about the fact that he's walking up here and she's dragging behind because she knows she's wrong. She knows she's filthy. She knows she's dirty. And, and he says, come on up here and walk with me. And she says, yes, master. And I can see him turn around, going back and say, don't you ever call me master again. Because I never wanted to hear the word master off your lips. I want to hear you call me husband. So come on. And every loving bride should have a desire to be with their husband. I know that I'm taller than my wife. And when I was single and unmarried, I learned to walk. Uh, My father died early in my life when I was eight years old. So I was bigger than most of the kids. I was, uh, I was starting most of my kids. Most of my friends were short and small. So I started rolling my shoulders over, you know, cause I was used to talking down and I started walking around. I was very self-conscious of my, of my large self. I've been, you know, pretty large all my life. And, and it's kind of interesting. And one of the men on the yard, where he said, listen, your dad was six, four. You're a tall man. And I know you don't have a man in the house. And he said, one of my responsibilities is going to teach you how to maintain strong posture. He said, when you're a man, man, you got to walk with a confident stride, walk with a long stride. He said, when you shake hands with somebody, don't drop a dead fish into somebody's hand. He said, man, grab their hand, look them in the eye. Amen. That's right. And, and so he taught me etiquette as a man. So when I went, by the time I started seeing my wife, I was used to, you know, getting where I was going, walk with confidence. And well, she's shorter. She had these little strides, you know, and many times I, I just walk away from her. I said, come on, let's go. And uh, she'd be way back here. One time she just said, hey, hey, are we together? And I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. What she was telling me is I want to be with you. Isn't it interesting that the first woman that was created, God didn't take a bone from the man's head so the woman would be above him. He didn't take a bone from the man's foot so that the woman would be below him. He didn't take a bone from the man's back so that the woman would be behind him. He took a rib from the man's side so that the woman would be with him. And that's what the Lord longs for. He longs for his bride to be with him. Look at me in Song of Solomon. This is dangerous. (laughs) Song of Solomon, chapter eight, verse five. Let's lift up one little verse here. Song of Solomon, chapter eight and verse number five. Song of Solomon is a lover's delight. And here in Song of Solomon, chapter eight and verse number five, they've seen this shy a self-conscious farm girl that's called a Shulamite woman now captured the heart of the king. And she has been so self-conscious that she's wondered whether he, she knows she loves him, but can he really love her? And there's a day in their relationship where the confidence that he has given her through his words, through his wooing, through his alluring has now settled. And when the relatives see them in that day, like Hosea said, in Song of Solomon, chapter eight, verse number five, it says, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I awakened you under the apple tree 
And there your mother brought you forth. There she bore you uh, and brought you forth. The Shulamite to her beloved set me as a seal upon your heart and as a seal upon your arm. She said, I'm ready to walk with you and I know I'm in your heart. And she says, for love is stronger than death and jealousy is as cruel as a grave. Its flames are the flames of fire. Most vehement flames. In other words, when you're in love with somebody and you are set as a seal, man, it should burn and jealousy should burn with it when it's betrayed. It says many waters cannot quench love. I don't care what kind of adversity that comes. When there's love in the relationship, those waters can of adversity cannot quench love, nor can a flood drown it. Even if the waters seem to overwhelm, they cannot flood out love. If a man would even give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Here comes a woman coming up out of the wilderness on the arms of the king. And they said, who's that on the arms of the king? And friends, I believe that you and I could be so in love with Jesus that he will so transform us that we don't believe that we're slaves anymore. But we believe that we belong on the arms of our beloved. And I'll be so glad in the day of the church when she understands, man, that I'm just not something that he got because there was nobody else around, that I am the object of his love. I am the apple of his eye and that I am the one that he chose. I am the one that he drew. I am the one that he established. I am the one that he looks for. And friends, that's what Hosea longed for. He longed for that single eyed relationship with his bride. And I believe that God still looks for his church. He has no plan B. When newcomers come into our church, I say, listen, God has no plan B. I tell them when you come into our church, we're not a perfect church, but we try to fix what we find is imperfect. Something's broken. We try to fix it, but we're not perfect. And I said, so if you're looking for perfection here, you're not going to find it. I said, but you better know we're going to try hard to fix whatever's broken. Next thing I told him, I said, now I know that when you come in, you're going to find some cracks in the wall. And we try to uh, fix our breaches also. But hear me. I said, the church is better than anything out there. I said, cause Jesus isn't coming back to the lodge. He's not coming back for the, for the club. He's not coming back for the fraternity or for the sorority. He's coming back for his church. And the church is the only safe place. It's the only, it's the only stable place. It's the only pure place. It's the only holy place. It's the only certain place. You see, if you'll turn back with Hosea with me now, you see, not only is love, God's love constant, but you know what? His love is benevolent. He wants us to walk next to him and he wants us to be one together. Heirs of God, join heirs with Jesus Christ. And in verse number 18 in Hosea 2.18, I love this. He says, I will make a covenant with them and with the beast of the field because God said, I'm going to let the land be overrun with the locusts. And then the beast is going to overrun the fields where the locusts did not left anything. And he says, and with the birds of the air. And he says, and with the creeping things that are on the ground, he says, in that day, I'm going to make a covenant. He says, and I, and he says, and the bow and the sword and battle, I will shatter uh, from the earth. 
and I will make them to lay down in safety. Notice all these I wills. This is God making covenant with his people. He says, I will betroth you. I will betroth you uh, to uh, uh, a loving kindness. He said, I will betroth you to me forever. God again makes a promise. He says, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and in mercy. He says in verse 29 now, he says, I will. Or verse 20, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass in, in that day again, he says, that I will answer and say to you, I will answer from heaven and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall bring forth with great, shall, shall answer with grain and new wine and oil. He said, man, I'm going to give you the word back. He said, if you'll turn to me, I'm going to give you new joy back. If you'll turn to me, I'm going to give you your power back. If you'll turn to me. And he said, and they shall answer Jezreel. Jezreel in the first chapter just means I'm going to scatter you. But God said, but now you're not going to be scattered. He said, I'm going to call you Jezreel, but now you're going to be sown. He said, I'm going to sow you as a model places. I'm going to sow you as a model of redemption at work. I'm going to show sow you as a model of my redeeming loving kindness in your community. I'm going to sow you as a model of my loving kindness down at, at the city mission. I'm going to sow you in various places. Here's the challenge that we have in America. Some people believe that it's homosexuality is our biggest problem. Some people believe that our economy is our biggest problem. Some people believe that liberals are our biggest problem. Let me tell you what God sees. The biggest problem in America is that we are covenant breakers. God is a God of covenant, not parties, not behavior. He's a God of covenant. And we are covenant breakers. We break in, we broken treaties with the natives of Americans. We broken treaties with, uh, with other countries, we've broken treaties uh, in marriage. And that tells on us because 50% of people that enter into the covenant of marriage violate it. We're covenant breakers. And, I'll, and, and, and my concern is that many Christians are born again, but many Christians don't have a covenant with God. People say, well, well, wait a minute now, if I'm born again, don't I have a covenant? Well, listen, to be born again, all you have to do is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he died and he rose again for your sin. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. God will quicken and make your spirit alive. But to enter into covenant, there needs to be promises given and exchanged. Hear that now. A covenant is not just a one-way deal. God tells you what he's going to do for you. This is what God is declaring. I am going to do these things for you, Gomer, because I want to establish covenant with you. He starts starting with all these I wills. He said, I'm going to betroth you in verse number 19. He says, I will betroth you in righteousness. He says, I will betroth you in justice. I will betroth you in loving kindness. I will betroth you in mercy. I will betroth you in faithfulness. And it says, and you shall know that I am a God. God said, that's going to be your response because covenant only happens when there's a response from both parties. And a lot of people, God has told them what they're supposed to do with them. And this is what the problem is in many word of faith uh, churches. We know what God has told us and we claim those promises, but we never tell God what we're going to do in light of what he has said. 
What are you going to do? When I marry a couple, I say, John, will you take Sarah to be your lawful way to wife? Will you A, B, C, D, E, F, G? And so answer, I will. And he says, I will. Then I say, then turn to her and say, I, John, I, John, will A, will A, B, B, C, C, D, D, E, E, F, F, G. Then I turn to Sarah, because it's not a covenant there. I turn to the bride and I say, and Sarah, will you take John? Will you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K? You always got to tell the woman a little more. I'm preaching it tonight. You'll have the pulpit next time. Okay. But while I'm preaching it, yeah, yeah, I got it tonight. So I'm preaching it tonight. If so, answer, I will. And she says, I will. And I say, then turn to John and say, I, Sarah, I, Sarah, with A, A, B, B, C, C, D, D, E, E, F, F, G, G, H, H, I, I, J, J, K. And until both of them say something to one another, there is no covenant. And see, you can be born again. But what have you committed to God? You see, it's your covenant that gets you healed. It's your covenant that gets your needs met. But what have you told to God? I remember in 1987, I went through a a battle with a sickness called sarcoidosis. Sarcoid gross happened in your body. Uh, They don't even know how it starts. They don't know how it starts. They don't even know how to heal it. But they know that they can treat it and bring it into remission with a drug called prednisone. And these sarcoids gross came on my lungs. My breathing was pronounced. I couldn't breathe. My equilibrium was all off. I mean, I thought lost about 30 pounds in about, about six weeks and uh, wound up in the hospital. And they did a, a, a biopsy on my lung and they said, yeah, it's sarcoid oil in your lungs. They did a full body uh, 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 examination and they found out one of my testicles was enlarged. So it went in and they did it. Uh, uh, a biopsy on the testicle by doctor, my internist said, I, and my urologist, they said, we think it's sarcoidosis. And I said, well, why don't we just go with that assumption? They said, because in African-American males, your age, they said, testicular cancer is also a possibility. And they said, we don't want to be sued for malpractice. So we got to go in and check in. And I said, and wonder if it's not sarcoidosis. They said, well, if it's not sarcoidosis, uh, they said, what we'll do is make a decision high on your wrist. We'll take the testicle out. We'll do a biopsy. And if it's sarcoidosis, we'll put the testicle back in. They said, if it's cancer, we'll just take it out. And I looked at the man. I said, you're going to castrate me? He said, well, we don't like to use those kind of terms. I said, well, what would you call it? He said, well, we like to say we're just going to treat the disease. I'm in this hospital going through this and a prophet comes to the men in our church. She's a female, Rev Ev. She's gone home to be with the Lord. And Rev Ev tells the men that, that your pastor's in a sanctified place. Well, all the men said, man, when he told us what they told him, that ain't no sanctified place. She said, but if the men will rise up in the morning and go pray for your pastor, y'all come in here from six to seven and pray for your pastor, nothing else. She said, God will bring him out of this place. 
I told the men in our church what was going on with me and they had had a lot of mercy, but then we got into covenant and I said, I'm going to stand in faith and I'm going to go through this and I'm going to do what God told me to do, but I need y'all to do it. And they got in covenant and here's covenant when they said, this is what the Lord said that he would do with the promise, but this is what he told them. And they said, we're going to get up. And the men of my church rose up at six o'clock in the morning before they went to work. Some could stay for half an hour, some for the full hour. And they prayed for an entire year for me. The doctor told me, he said, man, we don't know how to cure this. We don't know how to uh, do anything. He said, we don't know how it starts. We don't know how to to bring in a remission, but it cannot be a cure. He said, it could come back anytime. I went through that time after we got it in remission. It went away. It has not come back. And I don't look sick now, do I? Because a covenant... It's just not a promise, but it is an exchange. When I was in that hospital on a Sunday morning, I never will forget. I couldn't see my church, but they put me on the side on the tower of the hospital where I could look towards where our church was. And I was supposed to go in for a biopsy. It was supposed to be one of those outpatient kind of deals. They do the procedure in the morning, watch it, let you go home at night. Wound up in there 10 days because my temperature would not regulate. And I said, God, this ain't right. I said, I was getting ready to make a transition from United Parcel Service to uh, the church full time. And uh, our church had grown to that place where I could now come on full time. And I said, God, this isn't right. I said, I've been serving you and I've been doing what you told me to do. And then the Lord began to deal with me. He said, Lafayette, there's some issues in that church that I've been dealing with you for a long time on. First of all, you do too much. He said, every Sunday morning, you wake up and you're the one that's unlocking the door. You're turning on the music. You're making sure the microphones are setting up. And he said, then you go back home. And he said, and, and after you preach three services on Sunday morning, you go back home and, and you rest, uh, take a little rest, a shower. And you come back out and you teach newcomers class. You teach, uh, come back and teach the evening service. You're doing too much. And I've told you to delegate, but you will not do it. He said, if you keep on doing this, son, he said, he said I'm, I'm going to let you die. And you're going to come home with me. He said, I'm going to let you die. He said, if I let you die. And then he started reviewing. He said, today you were not there. And somebody unlocked that door. He said, today you were not there. Somebody turned on the music before service started. Today you were not there. And you assigned preachers and somebody preached. He said, today you were not there. And he said, and people got saved. The day you were not there and somebody taught the newcomers class. The day you were not there and somebody preached at the evening service. He said, if you continue this, somebody else is going to preach in that church and take it where I wanted to go. He said, if you continue with this, you're going to die. Somebody else is going to move in your house. Somebody else is going to marry your wife. Somebody else is going to raise your kids. Now, I didn't care about the church, but when he said somebody else is going to move in my house. (laughs) Let me put it this way. I didn't care that much about church. When he said somebody else is going to marry your wife or move in your house, I said, oh, no, the devil is a liar. (laughs) Not not on my watch, no. (laughs) Homie, don't play that. No, 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 no. (laughs) And I started cutting a covenant with God. I said, God, if you bring me out of this, I said, I'll go back home and I'll delegate. I said, I'll go back home and I'll give it to people and I'll call them to accountability. And I stopped doing everything. I said, God, I know who should be doing this. I know who should unlock the door. I know who the sound people are who should start that sound. I said, I know who I should be training so when I'm not there, they can carry some of the load. I know who should be my assistant in the newcomer's class. And I went back and I cut a covenant with God and God brought me out. See, many of us were born again, but we don't have a covenant. Because we haven't told God what we're going to do. 
See, what are you going to do? It's one thing just to come to God and get saved, but you're not in covenant until you tell him, I'm going to be a good church member. God, I'm going to show up on time. God, I'm going to give a tenth of my income. God, I'm going to serve you in the church. God, I'm going to support missions. God, I'm going to go on short-term missions. All of that is cutting covenant with God. One of the things that happens is most of us want a one-way relationship that is dysfunctional. We want God giving us everything, but what if you said that you're going to give to God? What if you said that you're going to do to him because you're not in marriage because you tell the girl everything you're going to do. If she ain't telling you what she's going to do, something's going to happen that's going to be very wrong. And that's what was wrong in this relationship. It was one way God was giving them everything, but they weren't giving anything back. So God said, so in that day, you're going to call me husband. In that day, I'm going to restore you. He says, in that day, I will answer from heaven. And then he goes on, he says, and in that day, when you call me Lord and the word bales is taken out of your mouth, when you commit to me, he says, I'm going to give you back the word that you need. I'm going to give you back the wine in verse 22 that you need. Your joy is going to be restored. Your anointing is going to be restored. He says, I'm going to then sow you into the places that I want you to be sown. And I'm going to have mercy upon you. And uh, he said, though you were not called my people, those, those that were not my people. Now I'm going to say, you are my people. And you will say, here's your commitment. You are my God. See, God calls us back benevolently, but he calls us back to a Another level of commitment. And some of us tonight, we need to remember where we've fallen in terms of our commitment. Because some of us, we made all kind of commitments, covenant commitments to God when we first started. Some of us made a commitment that once a week I'm going to fast. And now we don't even know what fasting is. Or we do different kinds of fasting. Oh, I'll fast the cell phone. I'll fast the television. I'll fast the radio. Fasting means to stop eating food. That's a good place for amen. (laughs) And we used to talk about fast. God, I'll take a day a week and I'll just drink water only just from sunup to sundown just to be close to you. Just to hear your voice. We made commitments to God. But as we got more revelation and things like that, we started violating covenant. We started violating and taking step. And let me tell you, as I close tonight, listen, listen, listen. We don't backslide by one big hop. We just don't hop into a backsliding condition. Now we backslide just a little bit. Just miss one Sunday. It's just one Sunday a month. Then we just start being late just one time. Then after that one time turns into a habit, now I'm just known as late. There are some people that come into our church, I can time it, 15 minutes every Sunday. That coming in the door, half an hour every Sunday. Most folks are pretty consistent. They're consistently on time and consistently late. It's a habit. And I call you back to commitment tonight. I call you back to commitment because some of us are born again, but we've lost our covenant. Because covenant is not just what God's going to do for you. That's dysfunctional. But what have you told God you're going to do to him? Take my life and let it be. Consecrate it, Lord, to thee. Take my heart, my life, my all. Only always to your throne.
always only to your throne. That old hymn was written and it says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing. Always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages. For thee, filled with messages for thee. This verse was not written, but it was later on added on because the writer thought that the song was incomplete without this verse. So he went back and added this stanza Take my silver and my gold, not a mite will I withhold. Take my intellect and use ever power as thou choose. Every power as thou choose. Take my wheel and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at your feet. It's treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Ever only all for thee. When Francis Havergal wrote this tune, wrote this course and authored it. A real struggle was going on. A real struggle was going on because she suddenly was convicted of her failure to do just that. Say, Lord, take my life and let it be. She had an amazing collection of jewelry. And she had given everything up for the Lord, but she kept her jewelry. When she started writing this song, she took all of those jewels and packed them up. She sent them to the church missionary society. And just to be sure, she included a check to cover all the monetary value of the jewels that she had chosen to keep. She kept some so that she could make sure that I don't think that I need to tell other people to pack up all their stuff and let it be the Lord's and not give my own or withhold it for pleasure. Friends, I need that. You and I need to bring back some songs like All to Jesus. I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever trust and serve him. In his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. See we enter into covenant with God. With not only his promises to us. But when we give promises to him, Ray, could you come up and play that I surrender all as a course? And I want you to just go into a meditative mode for just a moment. And here's what I want you to do in that meditative mode. I want you to think about 
What do you want to give to the Lord in exchange for the promise he has made to you? You see, church, he has promised, I betroth you in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and in mercy and in faithfulness. He has promised us in this text tonight, he's going to give us his word. He's going to give us new joy. He's going to give us as a soul seed. He's going to give us the anointing. But friends, covenant is established when you and I exchange with him. If he's going to do all of these things for us and I'm going to come up on his arm on the will coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on my beloved. What should I give to him to establish my covenant? I don't want to just be born again. Thank the Lord that I am. My spirit has been quickened. But you see, covenant is established. When you and I exchange. What is it that you're withholding that you need to give? Some areas are areas that right now you're in this meditative moment. Holy Spirit may bring to your remembrance maybe a promise that you made some time ago and have forgotten about. He'll bring it up. He said, but you said. See, in the old wedding vows that Teresa and I took, it was for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. To love and to cherish till death do us part. Those are the vows we took. Those are the vows we honor. I can still in my pastor's voice, Lafayette, you take Teresa as your wedded life. As your wedded wife, you love her, honor her, cherish her, obey her, respect her, protect her. You provide for her and sustain her for the rest of your lives. If so, answer I do. I never will forget the covenant I made to her. And then she turned and said, similar to me. And it's that's what's kept us together for 39 years. If I made that to a human being in the earth, what do you need to commit to the Lord? I don't know what your issue is, but in just a moment, I want you to just take a moment. And just make your commitment to the Lord. I'm going to pray and then I'm just going to have a quiet time to keyboard and the instruments are just going to play because we need to talk to God tonight. Father, we've heard your voice as a beloved coming to an unfaithful bride. And you've made all kind of covenant promises, but then you added these little clauses. And then in that day, she shall say, and then in that day, she shall say, and God, we need to say something to you tonight. Because God, some of us has fallen away from the covenant promises we have made. Oh God, bring us back to that place where we either forgot or neglected or lost the affection for that which we said. And Father, some of us are new believers and we never have told the church what we're going to do for it. We haven't entered into covenant with our brothers and sisters by saying, I'm going to come to the church. I'm going to attend regularly. I'm going to support it faithfully and financially. Father, we laughed at historical churches that had church covenants that said that this is what I'm going to do. But we need covenant again because we are covenant breakers. Oh, God, forgive us. And God, we return to our first love and we return to the covenant that we so desperately need with you. and We so desperately long for with you. Let there be terms and conditions, promises and exchange that happen right now. Love and trust him. Thank you, Jesus. We believe you for that. Let the instruments pray, play, and you pray. Go ahead and talk to the Lord. Go ahead and talk to him about your commitment to him. Renew your covenant with him.
you need to kneel, do that. If you need to come to the altar, do that. Whatever you need to do to get in your prayer posture, to make your covenant with God, do that. Whatever you need to do. If you need to find a piece of floor somewhere, just stretch out and lay out before the Lord the way you used to do in the day. Go ahead and do that. Make your covenant with God. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus. Well, Father, tonight we come before you tonight as a church corporate and individuals in the church, members in particular, 
And Father, we admit that right now we live in a world that is a covenant-breaking world. And Father, we live in a world that's so self-centered that we want to take everything from you, but want to make no commitment. Therefore, there is no covenant. And oh God, we go back to that place today and we say, God, we want to serve you with all that we have, all that we are. Our gifts, our talent, our time, our service, our affection, and our love. God, we commit to not just serve you on Sunday and on special meeting times, but every day of the week. Father, that our lives will be yours. Father, we commit to serve you every place that we go. Father, whether that place takes us into arts and entertainment, we'll serve you. Whether it takes us into the business world, we'll serve you. Whether it takes us into a congregation, we'll serve you and we'll respond and be in the model of you. Father, if it takes us into direct media, radio, television, internet, we'll serve you and represent you. If it takes us into education, whether in a preschool, elementary, middle school, high school, community or junior college, Bible college, university, on a master's or PhD level or advanced studies or fellowships, we'll represent and serve you in those arenas educationally. Oh God, we commit to serve you in the financial and in the family arena now. And God, no matter where we are with our family members, uh, we commit to serve you, God, and love you and show our affection and model you in those arenas. And even, Father, in government, for those of us who may work for city government or county government or province government or even state government or federal government, God, when we get these positions, we commit to serve you and model you and be an example to you. God, tonight, all that we are, all that we have, all that we possess, all the resource and gift and talent that you've given unto us. God, we give it to you. Uh, Father, without restraint, you can make a demand on it at any time. And God, many of us, we make our commitment to be punctual, be on time. Father, to be regular in church. We make a commitment with our finance today, Father, that what we have, a tenth of it will be yours and even become generous givers over and above and just be generous and benevolent in our heart. Commit our talents because some of our talents, Father, have been innate and some of them have been developed, Father. So some of us have developed skills. We know how to build a website. We know how to write. We know how to proofread. And Father, we do these things for others for cost, but we put them at the cross and we say, God, these are yours because you gave us ability to comprehend. You gave us the skills to do. And for that, we give you thanksgiving. We withhold nothing today, Father. Father, as the song is said, we surrender all, inclusive of everything to the exclusion of nothing. We make our commitment to you. We love you exclusively. Oh, God, we love you constantly as you love us. And we love you benevolently, generously tonight in Jesus' name. Tonight, Father, we cut this covenant with you. And we believe you for what you're about to do and what you're going to do throughout this church. Because we have a covenant unto you, because you said we have that covenant. When you make the covenant, then you said, then you will call. We will call and you will answer. Ah, Father, that heaven will hear and the earth will respond. And in that day, 
You will give us your word. You will give us our joy. And in that day, Father, you will give us, Father, our power as a church. God, so many are crying out for your power, but power only comes out of covenant. Joy only comes out of covenant. The revelation of your word only comes out of covenant. So, Father, we exchange our commitments to you on a personal level. Father, for that, we give you thanksgiving. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name. Sing that verse all to Jesus. All to Jesus. I surrender. All to him. Love and trust him. church we come back to our first love we want to be that bride leaning on the arms of her beloved coming up out of the wilderness it's all to you lord inclusive of everything to the exclusion of nothing you have spoken your promises us but then you said then she shall say and father the redeemed of the lord has said so tonight would you honor our commitment bring it to our remembrance and father some of us made small ones some of us made larger ones No matter what the magnitude, Father, help us to be found faithful to that which we have spoken. And for that, we give you thanksgiving in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God. I want you to sing that chorus one more time. Pastor John is coming to seal our time in Jesus' name. I surrender all. 